welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning again, everybody. It's great to see you on this 4th of July weekend. Um, Great to be here worshiping together. Uh, Let me go ahead and pray for us as we open uh, the scriptures this morning and hear from God's word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, over the last two weeks, we've been on the road with Jesus. Um, And next week, we're going to be starting a little series in the book of Colossians over the next uh, several weeks during the summertime. But today, we get to spend one more day on the road with Jesus in the region of Samaria. He's been going through all the towns and the regions uh, in, in the Samaritan regions. Today he's looking beyond the 12 disciples to a larger group of 70 or 72, depending on what text you're reading. And and they're going throughout the region of Samaria to proclaim uh, the kingdom of God. In this passage, Jesus doesn't plan on going back to Samaria. This is kind of like a last call. Uh, There's one more time that they're going to pass through the region of Samaria, and that's it. And so there is an urgency to the message that the disciples are going to bring. It's really, truly like a last call before judgment. So these disciples are going throughout the towns in the region, calling people to a new kind of freedom, a freedom uh, from the uh, power and dominion of Satan. They're calling people to the uh, through Jesus' power to the overthrow of Satan. Satan, whose aim it is to oppose the well-being and wholeness of humanity. Um, and they're calling people in freedom from his demonic forces. Jesus is ultimately going to claim victory over Satan through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension on high. Notice the contrast where Jesus ascends on high and he reigns from heaven. But in this passage, we see Satan falling from heaven. As those who follow Jesus, you and I, like the disciples, are being sent as laborers out into the fields to call people into Christ's victory. And what it's not a call to do is to raise up people as consumers to consume individual religious institutions or denominations. But it's, it's this call to raise up collaborators in the kingdom of God. And by collaborators, what I'm referring to is those who are joining a movement, those who are joining the work of living out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So you and I are doing it. We're calling other, people's in, other people into it as well. And to do that, to build up collaborators in the kingdom, it takes a particular mindset, it takes a certain disposition, and it takes the right goals. And I think those three things are laid out this morning in the gospel passage. 
So first, I want to look at the mindset of those who are calling collaborators of the kingdom of God. When Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, he sends them into the villages ahead of where he's going to go. And he tells them to pray earnestly that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. Notice God's abundance. Uh, There is too much work to be done for these 70 disciples. And so... There's an urgency to it. There's this single-minded devotion these disciples have in what they're doing. They're proclaiming something, but it's more than just a message. They're not just proclaiming something and walking away. What they're doing is they're raising up other people to do the very same work that they themselves are called to do. So it's proclamation and it's raising up leaders and disciples. The message doesn't just go from the disciples to the people. What it does is it goes from the disciples to the people whose hearts are converted, and then they themselves go and do likewise. And so we can think of this as multiplication, not simple addition. What they're called to do is to disciple other people who are discipling other people. Disciple others who disciple others. And and along with a sense of urgency... They're carrying on this mindset of prayerful dependence on God. The disciples weren't doing it as a business. They were to go out without a bunch of the things that you would think they would need uh, to do this trip. It doesn't even have the appearance of a successful business. They were at the mercy of whomever God brought across their path. Uh, and they were looking for somebody. You know, as they, as they were going along, they were looking faithfully for God to provide their needs. And I think there's something freeing when we think about the, the minimal type of mindset they had and uh, their focus on mission and prayerful dependence on God. Now, uh, don't worry. So what I'm not saying is that you need to go and sell everything that you have, uh, your homes and cars, all your earthly possessions, and you know, make some street signs and go live as itinerant preachers on the street. You don't need to do that, unless you feel really called to, but I'm not asking anybody to do that. Um, if you, yeah, so if you're worried about that, set your heart at ease. Um, but I do think that the, the minimal focus here, the singular focus, is helpful. It, it challenges us to ask where the bulk of our urgency rests. Where does the bulk of our sense of urgency rest in our lives? Do we think about what is considered enough for us, What is enough? When it comes to creating a lifestyle that allows us to prioritize God's kingdom. What is enough when it comes to prioritizing God's kingdom? Do we put the kingdom of God first when we prioritize things? And if so, then it's helpful to think about how the homes that God has given us, how the things that we have, the cars that we own, the relationships that we steward, how all those things are are real stewardships in the kingdom of God to facilitate the work of building up God's kingdom. And so if you and I can think about it this way, if you and I can make an effort to disciple one person, let's say for 10 weeks, and then at the end of the 10 weeks, you stop, and then you make it a point to find somebody else to disciple and, and you've done your job well with that other person, and they also find somebody else to disciple, let's say for 10 weeks, and then stop, then, then what you've done is you've moved from one person following Jesus to four people who are following Jesus, who are actively helping other people follow Jesus. It's multiplication. 
And so we're going to know that we're discipling other people well when those that we disciple are, in fact, discipling other people. And that needs to be a priority. So, so several of you are signed up for those Rhythms of Grace groups, and that's a great place to start. Think about the next two months that you have with uh, um, two or three people. Perhaps if you're not in one of those groups, consider inviting somebody from church over for food, um, over for coffee, or meeting them somewhere. Uh, Think about creating relationships for either Bible study or prayer together. We want to make disciples who are making disciples in this community with prayerful dependence that God is going to give us the, the things that we need when our greatest priority is taking what he gives us and stewarding it well for the kingdom of God. And that's the mindset of somebody who builds up collaborators in the kingdom and and not just consumers of a religious institution. So that's the mindset. Second, we want to look at the disposition. What is the disposition of somebody who's following Jesus here? And when we look at this passage, everything centers around bringing peace. In verse 5, Jesus tells the disciples to greet any house that they enter and to greet it with peace. Says if there's a son of peace there, then God's peace is going to rest on it. But what's tempting for me is to look for somebody who's going to be agreeable with me first to go find that son of peace, and then I'll offer peace. But instead, what they do is they begin with a disposition of peace and blessing, knowing full well that not everybody is going to be a son of peace with them, but the results are in God's hands and not theirs. St. Augustine in the 5th century, St. Augustine of Hippo, in North Africa, he he says it this way. He says, since we do not know who is a son of peace, then it's our part to leave no one out, to set no one aside, but to desire that all to whom we preach this peace will be saved. We are not to fear that we lose our peace. If he to whom we preach is not a son of peace... If we're ignorant of the fact, our peace will return to us. That means our preaching will profit us, not him. If the peace that we preach rests upon him, then it will profit both him and us. So having this disposition of peace towards all is something that I feel like I am constantly having to grow in. I don't know about you, but I don't don't say this often enough. I do say our vision statement of the church, which is, To become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. But one of the things that I don't say enough is our longer mission statement at the church. Which is to become an approachable and invitational Anglican community that's growing in the love of Christ. Through rhythms of hospitality, prayer, relationships, and service. Hospitality, prayer, relationships, and service. And and that approachable... An invitational piece is, is what gets to the disposition of our hearts in, in blessing other people. Someone once helped, uh, told me that our, our church is like a high church reverence with a West Coast vibe. And I thought, oh, good, then we're living into our mission. That's wonderful. Um, so, you know, I want to have that kind of blessing and disposition of peace. Uh, to use another person's language, the way that they say it is, this kind of hospitality-driven approach takes strangers and it makes them neighbors and then it takes neighbors and it makes them the household of God. I like that. It's with our relationships then we can ask the question, do we seek to bless other people? 
And as we bless and we build genuine relationships, are we stewarding those conversations that we're having well for the good of God's kingdom as we're building relational capital with other people and trust? I remember a friend of mine once saying that one of the goals that she has in conversation with other people is that when they're finished with the conversation, as they leave, that they would feel like they have been heard and known. That's her goal, that they would feel like they've been heard and known. And that has been a great challenge for me. And I think it's actually a kingdom value. Um, And I know that when we hear the word evangelism, can be scary, right? Because our minds start thinking of all the ways that that word has been used. And maybe you've grown up in a context where you, you hear the word evangelism and you think it means going door to door, passing out really awful tracks, um, going through several spiritual laws with people like a script or um, asking really awkward and pointed questions like, you know, if you died tonight, where would you go? Which doesn't build relationship. Um, I can tell you that. Um, and so, instead, get those things out of your head when you hear evangelism. God can use them, but despite ourselves, not because of them. So get them out of your head and, and remember that our mission as a church is to grow in the love of Christ. We are a school of the Lord's service, as St. Benedict's rule says. We're growing in the love of Christ through rhythms of hospitality, prayer, relationships, and service. And so one of the ways that you can think of evangelism then is to do that and to invite others with you on that journey. So it does involve communication, and it is an invitational kind of communication. As you are building personal and communal rhythms that are healthy and growing in the love of Jesus, you invite others to do the same. And that cultivates a disposition of blessing and peace. Even when it's not reciprocated, it produces disciples who are are raising up other collaborators in the kingdom of God. That's a, it's an approach that doesn't just raise up consumers. So we've talked about having an urgency with a mindset of prayer and dependence. We've talked about maintaining a disposition of peace. Finally, we want to look at having the right goals in discipleship. And it's true that for most of us, uh, if not all of us, we can look back to moments in our lives that have had a really profound impact on our walk with Jesus. And that's, and that's a good thing. And yet at the same time, we don't want to cultivate the kind of spirituality that depends on profound moments for us to grow in our spiritual life with Jesus. Um, you can think of it as an analogy. Think of it like food. When, when you eat food, you need food that's healthy for your mental, emotional physical health um, and, and in doing that we need a lot of frequent healthy meals most of which are really unmemorable but we need those meals in order to be healthy um, we wouldn't want the majority of our diet to be junk food and snacks uh, or nothing and then like once a week come and get a really delicious big healthy nutritious meal that, that kind of pattern would not feed us well. It wouldn't make us physically healthy. And somehow, when we talk about the interior life, people do this with their spiritual life. There's no rhythm. There's no intentionality. 
There's no frequency. And then they wonder why there's so much spiritual unhealth uh, and confusion. There's this balanced spiritual diet that we all need as we feed our souls. Coming to the Eucharist is one of those rhythms. We need a healthy daily, weekly, and even monthly rhythm of good personal rhythms and good communal rhythms together. Because if we don't live well before God, then it doesn't really matter what kinds of things that we're going to do for God. If we don't live well with God and before God, it doesn't really matter what the things are that we do for God. Um, It says in verse 17 that the disciples were rejoicing. And the thing they were rejoicing in was the surprise that they felt when they were experiencing the demons being submitted to them in Jesus' name. Which is really cool. I mean, that would surprise me too. And I would be filled with joy when I see the work of God. And that's a good thing. Jesus doesn't say, don't be excited about that. Um, They really did do great things for God and it filled them with joy. But what Jesus' words do here is is they remind them not to rejoice so much that the demons are subject to them. But they're supposed to rejoice that their names are written in heaven. Not so much what they can do for God, that demons are subject to them, but that their names are written in heaven. And so I could summarize it this way. Rejoice, you should rejoice in the miracles and the good things that God can work through you. But rejoice more in the miracle and the good things that God can do in you. There's no amount of success that we can accomplish that can justify a disordered interior life. There's no amount of success in this world that can justify a disordered interior life with Jesus. And so, healthy discipleship flows out of a life that's being transformed by the work of Jesus. Someone that I know had gifted a friend the opportunity to have a vacation, and when they did this, it was in a really nice house they owned, in a really nice location. Um, But in order for them to actually give that gift, the friend who gave it actually had to own it, right? Uh, It would be really weird to be generous with other people's things. In fact, it would be criminal. Uh, They actually had to own the thing in order to give it as a gift. And so in order to raise up uh, collaborators in the kingdom of God, we ourselves need to be those who are most transformed by the Holy Spirit first. It's something that we have to possess in order to give that gift to other people. And so we want to be growing in this ever-growing relationship and, and love of Jesus in a life that's constantly being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit because we can't give to others what we don't first possess in ourselves. So it's been my hope that we're building up together in this church a, a culture of welcome and a culture of invitation. And you guys really have done that. And so in some ways, this is a keep doing that more and more. It is a really good thing. Um, a, a culture of invitation that's helping people grow in the love of Christ through rhythms of hospitality, prayer, relationships, and service. And so we're welcoming the strangers so that they become the household of God. We're rightly in, uh, ordering our interior life with Jesus. We're building deep friendships because in our culture, our culture does not know how to build deep friendships. And so it's something that we're working on as a church culture. We're caring for the vulnerable together. And today as we think about discipleship, um, as I mentioned earlier, this is our first Mission Membership Sunday. Since the church began in 2020, um, 
thinking about it two years ago, I've never really asked anybody to become members before. And so this is our first time having members. And those of you who are going to sign the parish register today, you know, you've completed about 15 weeks worth of content together. Um, for many here, you started in the last, the eight weeks in the fall, where you went through a confirmation class and you were either confirmed or received by the bishop in January of 2022, if you remember back to that. And, um, and so it's been a long road to talk about what is membership here at this mission. And I'm really excited to see how many people are making the commitment to join this church. Having members, what that means for us in this church, it's different in every church. But here what it means is that there are people who are um, committing to a covenant of life together. And I can send you what that covenant looks like uh, if you're interested. That there are people now who can vote on a future vestry uh, or serve on a future vestry. A vestry in the Anglican church is kind of like an elder board or a board of directors that govern the ongoing life of the church. There are those who might feel called to preach that will have the opportunity. There are those that might feel called to holy orders that will now have the opportunity. So it's really exciting to see those making a commitment to membership in this mission. And beyond those who are going to become members, all who are baptized and following Jesus uh, in this church, there are so many ways to still participate, right? As you've been doing, uh, you, know, you can still serve on Sundays, obviously receive communion, um, host and participate, even uh, lead formation groups. You can give of your uh, time and resources. You can serve the community that we live in, continue to pray for this church, keep daily rhythms of prayer. There's a lot that you can do as, a non, as, as not yet being a member. Um, and in the, we're going to have another membership Sunday later on. We're going to have another confirmation class in the fall first. And then we'll have another membership opportunity for you if you want to join later. But the point of taking so long, uh, you know, why is it that we take so long to become members in this church? And, and the reason why is that we want the emphasis not to just be on, well, good, I've checked that box. It's an opportunity for discipleship, to really grow a culture of disciples who make disciples. And that's what we want to be. Um, and so we want to raise up those who are collaborating in the kingdom of God with one another, not just people who are consuming this religious product. And so when we look now at the sending out of the 70, it's this important reminder of the way that we approach discipleship as a church. It encourages us to have a mindset of urgency about our tasks. Um, that we are prioritizing God's kingdom in our daily lives. And there's a prayerful dependence that you and I need to live into. It reminds us that we approach others with a disposition of peace and blessing, even when that's not reciprocated. Um, and then, and, and you know, when we think of that, it's not about how people respond. That's something we can't control, and that's okay. Our concern is to bless with peace and not just to share the rightness of the gospel, but to share the goodness of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is truly good, and people need to know why it's good, not just right. And we share that through a transformed life and living authentically. And finally, the sending out of the 70 reminds us to find joy, first in the work that God can do uh, through us, but mostly 
and the work that God can do in us. Not to fixate on those uh, matters of, of success, but to celebrate an interior life being rightly ordered before Jesus. So with the right mindset, the right disposition, the right goals and priorities, we can raise up collaborators in the kingdom of God. Disciples who build disciples. Let me pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, you manifested your love by sending your only begotten Son into the world, that all might live through him. Pour out your Spirit on your church, that we might fulfill his command to preach the gospel to all people. Send forth laborers into your harvest. Defend them in all dangers and temptations. And hasten the time when the fullness of the Gentiles shall be gathered in, and faithful Israel shall be saved. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.